Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Alright, we're going to continue this. What part is it? Part 4? Yeah. Can we go on now? All right, so we want to go on with um, a study on 144,000, which is Revelation 14, verse number one. Praise God. Revelation 14, verse number one. And I look and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion. And with him, a hundred and forty or four thousand, having the Father's name written in their forehead. This is what we're dealing with. Actually, we're dealing with the whole of uh, verse one to five, and we're taking all of the elements in the whole of this chapter of verses bit by bit. We want to break them down bit by bit, and uh, we've been able to establish uh, what it means to stand. The land stood. What does that mean? We said that before. He come to console. He comes to encourage. He come to strengthen. Come to testify as a witness. He comes to judge in Acts chapter seven. In the case of Stephen, we said all of that. So today we want to look at uh, where he's standing, which is Mount Zion. What is Mount Zion, or where is Mount Zion? Often and again, uh, this can be very confusing, but I don't mean what people think this to be. Sometimes they think it has to do with maybe in the Middle East, which has to do with Israel, physical Israel. So the question would be, will Jesus literally come to my Zion in the Middle East one day? Is that what he's talking about? Is it like, okay, when it comes to Messiah one day, then uh, it's going to have 144,000 to be with him in the physical Jerusalem area? On the other hand, is Messiah up in the sky? Because they said uh, the 144,000 is stood with, my, uh, with Jesus in Messiah. And ordinarily, the teaching, like I said in the beginning, is this 144,000 are going to be reigning with Christ. In the, in, the, in, the, in the heavens or in the sky, wherever it is, why the rest of the people will be down here. This, this is more or less like saying the, uh, the government uh, structure of Jesus, those who reign around with him. So if that is the case, uh, if we want to believe, as we've been told, that Messiah is up or where Jesus is going to be reigning with these people, the question there is, is Messiah up in the sky? That's the next question. Amen? So, is Messiah on a location up in the sky or in the Middle East? That's the question. I would say this is very embarrassing how the children of God, with all our titles, all our degrees, how we don't really make sense of the Word of God. Amen? It is the height of uh, scriptural and theological delusion to imagine that my Zion is somewhere up in the sky. It's a high level of delusion. Where the Lord and only 144,000 people which constitute his government are supposed to be ruling for, I mean, the rest of mankind down here. Is a height of spiritual delusion. Is the height of spiritual ignorance. To think that way. To teach that way. And to believe such a thing in the first place. I think the fact of the matter is the church have refused the love of the truth. And so the Lord has given them what I would call the spirit of delusion. Let me look at scripture here. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 10 to 12. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 to 12. 
The Bible says, I will tell deceive ugliness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe what? A lie. Verse 12, that they might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in righteousness. Now, the verse, verse 10, 11 is the key thing I want you to see. This is actually also relating to the judgment of Israel in AD 70. But, the verse 10, and with all the civilism of righteousness in them, now, go back to what I said. What did I say, verse 10? Right. With all the civilism of righteousness in them, that they perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Receive not the love of the truth. So I believe strongly that majority of us as believers were suffering from this spirit. Because I believe that Mount Zion is up that my Zion is meant for Jesus and 144,000 alone is a strong spirit of delusion. Praise the Lord. And here the scripture is saying, when you refuse the love of the truth, and that's very important to us, when you refuse the love of the truth, God gives you a spirit of delusion to believe a lie. So when you are believing a lie, you thinking, in fact, you can literally kill, not knowing that you're believing a lie. You can literally fight without you knowing that what you believe in is a lie. Why? Because you refuse the love of the truth. So God gives you another spirit, and it's called the spirit of delusion. And you can be walking in that dimension and still be very happy. Praise God. So a lot of people are suffering from this spirit. This is called the spirit of delusion. And the only reason why they are given that problem because they refuse the love of the truth. God is speaking expressly in his word. But they can't take it. Why? Because most often because of what they have come to believe over time. What either their fathers have spoken or that the religious system have taught them. And with that alone, they will not want to make shift. They kind of want to shift, even God is telling them the truth. Like what they say here, how on earth will Jesus be promising you a mansion in heaven? Take note of that one. I'm just giving that as an example. When we know that he say, My father's house are many mansions, how can you have many mansions in a house? A mansion is bigger than a house. That sentence alone will tell you that Jesus wasn't talking about a physical building. But 80% of Christianity tomorrow still believe that Jesus promised that he's going up into the sky to build a mansion that when they die, they will inherit the mansion. Either when they die or when they get raptured. And that is because they refuse the love of the simple truth of the fact that the word mansion speaks of building, speaks of the church, when they say my father's house. Rooms in the church, individual that makes up the church of God. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about a physical building up in the sky. But because men refuse the love of the truth, God gives them the spirit of delusion so that they can literally till tomorrow fight, you know, believing that God has gone up to build a mansion. You see what I mean? So, this is not just something that happens to unbelievers, it's happening to believers. For they don't want to receive the love of the truth. They have no love of the truth in their hearts. So, God releases another spirit, which is called the spirit of delusion, in order for them to believe a lie. Praise God. Are we here? So, what is this uh, manzion that Jesus is standing on today? I want to give some historical perspective and comparison as touching the word Zion. Historically speaking, Zion was a stronghold 
of the Jebusite. The Jebusite were occupying a particular place called Mount Zion, or Zion, right? And then David captured it. As a king, when he became a king, he captured that area called Mount Zion. You know, and enlarged it to become what is called the city of David. So when you read the city of David, you're talking about Zion. Uh, well, I'm going to progress. I should progress, be able to see him. David as a king gave birth to his children in Mount Zion. I'll show you that from scripture as well. David was ruling from Mount Zion. Israel was down below. Okay? Mount Zion on the mountain. David as a king was there. He had the throne there. He had his kingdom. His throne right there. But the rest of the people in Jerusalem were down below the mountain. So that gives you a picture of what we're actually trying to describe. There are people who have moved up in the higher dimension as compared to the rest of the people. And some people have authority, they have power, they have dominion. They're walking from a different dimension of the influence of the king as compared to every other people down the middle. Anyway, let me just take it down gradually. So, you will find that the city of David was the capital of his kingdom. You can just read that. We don't have time to read all of this thing, but 2 Samuel, for instance, uh, chapter 5, let's look at it from 6 to 10. Let me just read all of these. Other ones, I'm going to just give you scriptures, you write them down. All right, from verse number what? Verse 6 to 10. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except that take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither. Thinking David cannot come in hither. What he means is, they were saying, what do you think you are doing? You can't come here. You don't have authority. You don't have power to come here and conquer us, as the case may be. The next verse. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is what? The city of David. David and all that dwell, all that day. David said on that day, Whosoever get up to the gutter and smited the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, Blind and the lame shall not come hither into the house. So David dwelt in the fort. And call it the city of David. And David built around from Milo unto what? Inward. Praise the Lord. He built round about from Milo and then inward. So he called it the city of David. He conquered, it was actually the land of the Jebusite, but he conquered it and he called it the city of David. So there are basic facts I want to show you here in, in terms of the geographical factors that contribute to the stronghold of David. When you call this the city of David or the stronghold of David or the man Zion. Number one thing was that it was a strong position. You see what, and, and I want you to see that. You see what the Jebusites were saying, you can't come in here. You don't have power to come in here to conquer this place or take it. So one of the things that Zion speaks for is strong position. It's a strong position. Amen? Number two. It was centrally located. My Zion was centrally located. As we're going to go down, you'll be able to say, I need to get this fact in your mind as we progress on this. Because this is actually describing the church. The church ought to be centrally located and the church ought to be very strong position on the face of the earth to determine a lot of things that are supposed to be happening on the face of the earth. Number three, Zion was outside the territory of the twelve tribe of Israel. And this is very important. That was the position of kingship. Zion was outside of the territory of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. King David was here with only his family and those who walked around him. Praise the Lord. Are you with me? Very good. So I need to get that. So, literally, the city of David Come to its end, it was destroyed as predicted in the book of Jeremiah when Jerusalem was conquered in AD 17. City of David was brought down. Praise the living God. 
So, figuratively speaking, we find that the children of Israel were called the daughters of Zion. Look at Isaiah chapter 3 verse 16. Isaiah 3 verse 16. Moreover, the Lord said, because our daughter of Zion and haughty and walk is straight forth next, wanton eyes, walking and menacing as they go and making and thinking with their feet. You know what that means? Almost like what we have today. Amen? Now you go through the scripture, you're going to be seeing all of those things we're having today. Women piercing their nose, all of those things, adding to your bonbon, putting chains to the leg. They're all there in the scriptures. That's what the uh, daughters of Zion were doing. You know, which actually speaks of the children of Zion. Amen? And then Joel chapter 2 verse 23, there you call them the children of Zion. So this is talking about Israel. Praise the Lord. Talking about Israel, but this is not the same thing with those who are occupying the city of David. Amen? So looking at it from historical and uh, figurative background, Zion, spiritually speaking, becomes, in the Psalm and the Prophet, the spiritual counterpart of the literal city. What I mean is, the Manziah when the Lamb is standing is the spiritual counterpart or the opposite of the physical city of David. Amen? Praise the Lord. If you want to look at it now, theologically speaking, what we say, in terms of spiritualizing and understanding what Zion stands for, we'll look at a few things. One, Literal Zion that David was, what a strong fortress, a strong place. You can find that in 2 Samuel 5, verse 7. You may not bother yourself with all of this scripture. I just want to understand the thing I'm about to say. Then spiritual Zion is immovable. You can find that in Psalm 1 2. Maybe take that. Psalm 1 2, 5, verse 1. They that trust in the law shall be as man Zion which cannot be removed but abided forever. This is the spiritual Zion. But the physical Zion, like I said before, Second Samuel chapter 5 and 7, is a strong fortress, impregnable position that you cannot penetrate. Remember the Jebusite, the harlot, and to their own conclusion, you can't penetrate it. They were telling David, you can't come here. Because of fortified or the stronghold. Right? Good. But in the midst of that, what happened, David was able to penetrate and to take it over. So the physical Zion speaks of a strong position, fortress. But spiritual Zion speaks of that which cannot be moved. It's the same way Jesus was saying, I will build my church and the gate of hell cannot prevail against it. So one thing again you need to understand when you come to the Mount Zion, you're coming to a place of protection. You're coming to a place where nothing shifts you, nothing moves you. And you believe in your understanding about the things of God. Knowing exactly who you are. Zionites are unmovable by any form of circumstance or situation. They are not movable. Hallelujah. So look at that. Go back to that again. The book of Psalm 1 to 5. Psalm 1 to 5 verse 1. They, this is not people now, that trust in the Lord shall be as man Zion which cannot be removed but is abided word forever. You can move them. And, and I will tell you something. When we truly come to experiencing a position in man Zion, our heart is so established that nothing moves us. Nothing shakes us. No circumstance moves us. We are established as what? A man's Zion. Amen? When we have all of some of those problems sometimes, the shaking, the distractions in life, it's all simply speaking of the fact that we have not truly started experiencing 
that which is called Mount Zion. We've not actually started walking in the realm that we're supposed to have found ourselves as believers, which is called Mount Zion. We've not come to that position. Praise God. Are you following me? Mount Zion is immovable. I wish you're going to emphasize this. Look at that. They that trust in the Lord shall be at Mount Zion. You can't be shifted. You can't be moved. So there is a dimension of experience, spiritually speaking, where we have to think about that which is called Mount Zion. And it's come from trust. Hallelujah. Number two. Literally Zion became the seat of David's throne, like we read before. Second Samuel chapter 5, you can say 9 and 12. But the spiritual Zion is a place of the Messianic Christ throne. Psalm 2 verse 6. Psalm 2 verse 6 is the throne of Jesus. The physical Zion is the throne of King David, the literal David. But Mount Zion, spiritually speaking, is the throne of who? Of the Lamb. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill, Zion. Amen? So, the place where Jesus is, Zion is the holy hill of Jesus Christ. Spiritually speaking. Revelation 14 verse 1 again is what we are dealing with. And I saw the lamb, lo, he stood on Zion and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand. That's the movable dimension of the spirit which the Lord himself occupies just like King David occupied the physical Mount Zion in Palestine. You see, it's the heart of deception like I said in the beginning for you to think that Jesus will one day come and then begin to occupy a position in the Middle East called Mount Zion. It's the height of spiritual delusion. Praise God. That's why when they talk about the second coming, is, I've only been asked a question. Somebody was asking me a few days ago, then I asked a question. Second coming, okay, which one is the first, which one is second, and which one is third? You can have first or second. I mean, before second. You, before you talk about second, you should have had the first. Which one is first, which one is second? And again, you take time to study the Bible, there's not like second and coming joined together. What you find is second times. And again, and you're not saying the same thing. Amen. Praise the Lord. When Jesus said, "I'll come again," have not to do with second coming. That was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You see, the three men in Genesis 17:18, they told Abraham and Sarah, "This time will come again, and your wife shall conceive." How many of you remember that? We know that Sarah got conceived. But we never saw anybody come again. So what happened? The fact that they got back to Isaac showed that he came again. So coming again is simply a promise. It's a fulfilled promise. So when Jesus said I'll come again, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Are you following me? He's not talking about, like I ask people, how did they call the first time? You say it's coming again. How did they call the first time? Luke chapter 1 also tells us the same thing. Down to what the Bible says the Holy Spirit or the power of God shall overshadow thee, and that holy thing that shall be formed with thee shall be called what? The Son of God. Is that not how he came? Did anybody float from the sky? No. So even if you must come again, like you said, coming second time, or second coming like you had the first coming, how did he come the first time? The Holy Ghost came. So if it's coming the second time, how's it going to come? The Holy Ghost. <laughs> the Holy Ghost will have to descend again, just like you have Mary, who was a virgin, and the one forty-four thousand, they are virgins. Is anybody following the picture? So what's the next thing that happened? The Holy Ghost will have to descend, will have to rest upon your life. And the holy thing that shall be formed the day shall be called what? The Son of God. And Paul said, I travail in bad pain 
until Christ be what? Be formed in thee. We can see this. Why? Because we're suffering from the spirit of delusion. So God gave us the spirit of lies because we're going to believe the truth. Hallelujah. So waiting for him to flee from the sky instead of experiencing his presence by the power of the Holy Spirit that continue to incubate. Oh, glory. What happened? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Huh? Remember that. Beginning was when God created the heaven and the earth, right? And the earth and the earth were without void, and the spirit brood. It hovered. That's what it means. So when the spirit hovered upon the face of the deep, what happened? Life was impregnated there. The same principle. Just like a hen will lay the egg, and you know what happened? The head out of the dead to incubate. Remember that. And Jesus said that in Matthew 23. How you will not allow me to cover you as a hand will cover her cheek. Praise God. So, what have I said so far here? The physical man Zion was where David was. The spiritual down is the throne of who? Of Jesus Christ. Amen. Number three. The literal Zion, which is David's throne, was the bad of David's children. Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 13. Hallelujah. Second Samuel 5, 13. And David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem. Oh, glory. After he was come from Hebron, and there were yet sons and daughters from who? I mean, born unto who? Unto David. Did you get that? David was staying among Zion. Remember, my Zion was up a mountain. Jerusalem was down below. David took wives from Jerusalem and took them up to Mount Zion. And I'll give you a picture. Hallelujah. You can be down here and there's a place of exhortation where you're trying to marry unto who? Unto Jesus. He lifts you up to be where he is. You can get married to a wife and leave her somewhere else. David married from Jerusalem and took the women up to Manziah. And Jesus is picking people from just the realm of God, which is called Jerusalem. And now they are standing with him where? Oh, Manziah is gone up and the wife is with him. Is that making sense to you? Hallelujah. So this is David. Remember I told you, Messiah is up and then Jerusalem is down. Now David descended, get women, up to where? Up to Messiah. And so what happens to the woman that is going to take from Jerusalem? They're going to be with him where? At Messiah. So Jesus is standing on Messiah and with him 144,000 who were virgin, who were not defied by men, who have no lies in their mouth. We're going to deal with all of that. So it's a realm of relationship higher than just being a Christian. Higher than just being a churchgoer. Higher than just being in, oh, I'm born again. No, no, no. Hallelujah. Where are you occupying? What's your position? What's your location in the spirit? Are you in Mount Zion or you are just in Jerusalem? Jerusalem for the 12 tribes, Mount Zion for the king and his wife and children. Where are you? And Jesus is in Mount Zion. It's not just in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. So, well, the spiritual bad place of God's children is Mount Zion. Psalm 87, verse 5. What we read is David, but this is Zion, spiritual. And of Zion, it shall be said. This and that man was born in her, and the highest himself showered establisher. This and that daughter shall be born where? In her, in Mount Zion. Just like David picked women from Jerusalem and gave birth where? In Mount Zion. So also, the spiritual Zion. That's the place where we're born. And we're going to see that. Hallelujah. 
Hebrew 12, verse 22. I love that scripture in the book of Psalm. But he had come unto my Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, unto an innumerable company of angels, verse 23, unto the general assembly of general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. You can read the rest, but I'm going to start here because he said, my Zion is a place where this and that are born where in Zion. So remember this. What do you mean names written in heaven? I've explained that before. But just for my first time as my viewers, when a child is born in the clinic or in the hospital, what happened? They have birth certificates. Amen? Good. And then it is spelled out has or his citizenship in that nation. Are you getting that? So we have, even if you're Nigerian, your wife is pregnant and you go to maybe South Africa or the U.S. and your wife delivers there, that child becomes a citizen of that country because you're going to have a birth certificate there. So, remember Psalm 87 verse 5, it talks about this or that shall be born where? In Zion. And when they are born in Zion, what happens? Their names are written. That means they are citizens of where? Of Zion. Not Jerusalem. Different. Not Bala Blue anyway. Praise God. Are you getting what I'm saying? Completely different. They are born in Zion. We are citizens of Zion. Not when you die, not when you go upstairs, no. This is a realm that you can experience for just being a Christian with a higher dimension of God's spirit and the inworking of God's power in your life. This is different from being in Jerusalem. Don't forget what I said. David goes to Jerusalem to pick concubines, take them up to Mount Zion, give birth to sons and daughters. Jerusalem was down below. Mount Zion up in the hill where David was with his people. It's a place for kingship. It's a place for queens and kings. Hallelujah. Do you understand what I mean there? Good. A place for kings and queens. Oh, glory. It's different from just being a church member. I want you to see that. The names are written where? In heaven. So your birth certificate is actually in heaven. By reason of your new birth, you are a heaven citizen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm not really now to your actions, whatever, but the point is this. No child performs anything to become a citizen. Come on. Do you understand that? <laughs> what qualifies you to be a citizen is your birth. That you, when you grow up, you begin to imbibe the culture of your country. You don't walk by the culture the day you were born. You learn the culture. So when you're born into Mount Zion, what's the next thing? You begin to learn the culture of Zion. You are already a heavenly citizen. It's not what you do. Hallelujah. Did anybody get what I said there? What qualifies you to be a heavenly citizen is because your parents were from heaven. Does that? Am I right? Yeah. Your parents are from heaven. Parents is God and the church. <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes in and infuses himself with the word of God and is given back to you. Two things give back to you. The spirit and the word. And the bear witness on the earth. So what out of the word? So when these two things come together, Life of God is formed in your life. And your name is written where? In heaven. God has come to take you to himself. Out of where? Out of Manziah. 
men for the kings and the queens. Children of the king are born. Where? In Mount Zion. Not in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. See, you see, there's a movement that ought to be taking place. You need to get this right. That's why you discovered that in Revelation chapter 4, Jesus told John, come up here and I will show you things we will be here after. Come up here, get out of that realm. Come up to a higher dimension. I will show you things which we come after now. When he was seeing the seven churches, all of those things going on, seven ages of the churches, that was the realm he was occupying. He said, but for you to see what I need to do tomorrow, come up from that level. So there is a dimension of moving up from where you are. You need to get out of Jerusalem and move on to Mount Zion. To manifest your kingship, to reveal your true identity, to identify to the fact that you are a priest and you are a princess. You are a king and you are a queen. You got to go up. Because the king is in Manziah, he's not in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Are we here? Oh, I like this. Praise the Lord. Number four. I don't know if we can finish with this. The literal Zion was the place where David received the promise of an eternal house and throne. We don't have time to read all of that, but you can read 2 Samuel chapter 7. God promised him an eternal house, an eternal throne in Mount Zion. Amen? A lasting covenant is established. So let's, let us look at Psalm 50, verse 5, and then 8, 6 to 10. I mean Hebrews 8, 6 to 10. Psalm 50, verse 5. God, I am my saints together unto me, though they have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Or the next thing. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself, seller. The verse, the verse 5 is the key point. I want you to pick there. So you go, what covenant is he talking about? Remember even the Jeremiah. The Bible tells us, that, anyway, just go with me to Hebrew chapter 8, 6 to 10. Hebrews 8, 6 to 10. But now how he obtained a more excellent ministry. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which are established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been fruitless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they contain not, they continue not in my covenant, and I regard them not, saith the Lord. Verse 10. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws where? In their mind. And write them where? In their hearts. And I will be to them a God. And they shall be to me what? A people. Where is this done? Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the place where the laws of God are written in our heart instead of a tablet of stones. Here is the place where the scripture is fulfilled when it said, as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You know why? Because, you see, now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not against the Bible. I'm not against you reading the Bible. That's not what I'm trying to say right now. Just listen to this. But you see, when, help me Jesus, when it must be a reference for you to either walk the walk according to the Bible, according to the Bible, according to the Bible, there's nothing wrong with that. It's all fine. But in the true sense of it, you are not supposed to live your life by saying according to the Bible. 
because you have the laws where in your heart you are supposed to manifest the Bible. Because when you keep on saying according to, you're still walking by, by law. That's the simple truth. Because the law is not written in your heart. The law is external. But a new covenant brings the law where? Into your heart. So you know what to do anytime that is right in the sight of God. Let me show you a scripture here. 1 Corinthians 7. Um, give me the last two verses only. Let me just look at that. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. Now, remember, he was giving instructions to uh, married women, he was giving instructions to virgins, giving instructions to single ladies, whatever the case may be. And he said, I'm saying this by permission, not of commandment. Look at it in this verse. For I would that all men were even as myself, but every man had his proper gift of God, one after this manner, and one word after the other. Praise the Lord. Is that the last verse? Praise the living God. I said, therefore, to the unmarried and widowed, it's good for them, they abide what even as I am, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to born. Go to the last verse, the last two verses of this chapter. Let me just hand it up there for you. The wife, the last two verses. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband leave it. But if her husband be dead, she is not a, she is a liberty to marry to another. She will only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And look at this word. This is what I want you to see. After my judgment, I now think also that I do what? I have the spirit of God. So what he wrote there is not a commandment anywhere. Did you understand what I'm saying? So by implication, he gave a law. And the law is written in the Bible. So, why, why is he saying that? Why is the Lord there? Because he said, I have the Spirit of God. So, I'm not just saying this of myself. Oh, come on. I wish you come to that understanding. That means it comes to a place where you are giving even counsel to people. You speak of the oracle of God without making reference to anything. And those things you are saying, they are in the mind of God. That's my Zion. I don't know if you are getting this. Because the law at this stage are now written where? In your heart. You speak as one that is one with the law. That's Mount Zion. That's the experience of Mount Zion. That's different from the Jerusalem. Where the law have to be read to the people, whatever the case may be. And it's in tablets of stone. It's not in your heart. And God said, no. So, the promise of eternal covenant reality it's made available to us in Mount Zion, but like King David, he was promised an eternal kingship. Praise the Lord. Let's take one more thing, maybe. Number five. Literal Zion, in contrast to the ceremonies of Mount Sinai, have the ark in a single form of worship. Praise the Lord. First King chapter 8, verse 1. First King chapter 8, verse 1. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord God out of the city of David, which is Zion. When the temple is built, the ark is brought to the temple. And at the ark was Aaron Rod aboard it, the manna, and what? The tablet of stone. These are the three things 
that were supposed to be in the ark. Now the ark is always placed on the most holy place. And it's all a matter of true worship for them. Praise the living God. Without the ark, there is no worship. But in spiritual Zion is an eternal embodiment of true worship of God in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. John 4, 23, 24. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Did you get that? John chapter 4. But our comment and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father where? In spirit, in their spirit and what? And in truth. For the Father seeketh such to do what? To worship him. God is spirit. Verse 24. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him where? In spirit and in truth. Now watch this. Watch this. God is a spirit. Follow that first. Did you notice any difference there? And they that worship him or worship him where? In spirit and in truth. Did you see any difference in the two spirits? One is capital letter, one is small letter. The small letter is your human spirit. The capital letter is God. Or you can say the Holy Spirit. Amen? So what is Proverbs 20, 27? Just give that to me. So what is he saying? True worshippers. It's something that comes from the spirit. Hallelujah. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Did you get that? Praise God. So when he said, those that worship God, worship him in spirit and in truth. Where? In your spirit. And that is why Paul will say in that uh, 1 Corinthians 7, and I know I also have well, the spirit of God. Why? Because first, uh, first, I mean, first Corinthians six seventeen, the Bible tells you, he that is joined to the Lord, this word, is one spirit. So I have the spirit of God. And those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not in relation to the old covenant that is kept in one place with the laws, with the showbread, and then you have to make the sacrifices for the priest to go and approach it. Oh, covenant for you. Now, I mean the ark, that is changed completely. Praise the living God. So now you have the life of God. Aaron showed that body speaks of the life of God. And he said, I came that I may have light and have it more world abundantly. The manna speaks of the word of God. And Jesus said, your fathers ate of the manna in the wilderness. God, God didn't give them the true manna. God gave them, I mean, that which was temporary, but I am the true manna. I got the word of God for you. So the true manna is God's word, which is the tablet of stone that are there in the ark. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. Are we still here? And so, the manna, like I said, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I mean, if you understand that. God didn't give you the true bread. He gave you manna, but I'm the true bread of life. So understand that. So when he says, worship God in spirit and in truth, everything that was external is coming to your spirit. You are joined together with God. You must come to that place where, oh, come on. Maybe I get that again. John 3, you know what he says? Those that are born of the spirit, they are like the wind. How many of you notice that? Say, so you can't determine how the wind blows. Say, so also are those who are born of what? Of the Spirit. Because as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Not those who are reading it from the law. Not those who are looking for tablet to confirm what has to be. What I'm saying is you grow up in Mount Zion as a child of the King at the Holy Mountain, that your heart will have to be completely a receptacle for the mind and the Spirit of God. Amen? Wherever you are, you are a manifestation of that which is the ark of the covenant. Everything is now in your spirit. That's what man's iron is. Praise God. So, if we can realize that the Old Testament principles and the names, we're about to figure and a shadow of good things to come, 
and not the very image of things. Like we find in Hebrews chapter 8, look at, I mean chapter 9, give me it Hebrews 9, 8 to 14. You can just see that. Hebrews 9, 8 to 14. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. It's important you understand it. Even though the high priest was going to the most holy place, everything they were doing in that tabernacle was just a shadow of good things to come. Verse 9. Which was a figure for the time being present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the sacrifices or services perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Look at the next thing. Verse 11. We stood only in meat and drinks and diverse versions and kind of ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hand, that is to say, not of this building. Praise the Lord. Amen? Verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. Now I need to say this a little bit. What did he obtain for you? Eternal redemption, not temporary redemption. Complete, perfect, one redemption, not to be repeated. You know what he's trying to say that? Okay. Children of Israel come every year with a bull or a goat, whatever the case may be, for sacrifice. And they get a redemption for that year. They get a price paid for them for that year. Next year they come back. So it was a continuous exercise every year. But this one, he offered it once. Hallelujah. What's the next thing? For if the blood of bulls and goats and the arches of an high fast sprinkling, the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, hallelujah, offer himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to save what? The living God. What are the dead works? What do they call dead works? It's all part of what we're saying in the Old Testament. All the animal blood that were being brought, they were all killed before they breathed them in. The altar called, they kill the animal, they bring the blood in. So they are dead works. I don't know if I get in this. Are we here? Okay. Just Romans 12, verse number one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? Present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. Holy assembled with God, which is what? Your reasonable service. This is a living sacrifice. We offering ourselves as what? A living sacrifice, not dead sacrifices. Every sacrifice that was being offered in the Old Testament was dead. Did you get that? Praise the Lord. The animals are slaughtered and they bring it the blood to the most holy prayer and sprinkle it and then Come out and say, your sins are forgiven this year. You're blessed. You know, God bless you. May his prayer shine on you. Blah, blah, blah. All of those stuff. And they go back home. And then they rejoice. God has forgiven them for that year. Next year, they're coming back with another boo. Did you understand what I mean? God said, I'm not interested in all those things. I need you as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies. Praise the living God. Are you there with me? Amen. So you see the complete difference between the old and the new. So we can say that's what the Bible said. Okay, I think we'll take this last scripture here. Romans chapter 9, 6 to 8. Romans chapter 9, 6 to 8. Praise the Lord. Not as though the word of God have taken on effect, for they are not of Israel, which are of Israel. Not everybody who says the Christian is a Christian, in quote. Not everybody who says a worshiper. Is that okay? We have those in Israel, those Old Testament principle type of worship. And then the next thing, verse number eight. Verse eight, or verse seven. 
neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children but in Isaac shall that seed be called that is they which are the children of the flesh these are not the children of God but the children of the promise are counted for the seed but this is the word of promise at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son as the word of promise this all those from the lineage of Isaac which has to do with those in the lineage of Jesus Christ they are the seed they are the son of God and so when people sometimes tell you you got to go to Jerusalem oh you got to go there you got to you know that's why you want to worship whatever the case may be Jesus said no, the hour is coming and now is where they shall not go down to Jerusalem or the Middle East if you will to worship God for those that worship God shall worship in spirit and in truth you don't need to travel to meet God God is always with you in your home amen so and some people will be telling you oh man God love Israel oh man you know you got to pray with prayer sure got to blow the horn hey all those are your dead rituals nothing to do with God nothing are you following me I remember having a meeting and uh, there was this man that came in with a box of olive oil in a conference. Box of olive oil. And he was moving around and now the secretary will be selling this oil. You come around, you pay some amount. This is a hundred dollars, I forgot it. You pay and then, I don't know how much that guy made that night. You know, I was praying for everybody. I was on the conference too, so I stepped down. When I got there, he wanted to give me the oil. And I said, no, I don't need it. He said, this oil, special oil from Jerusalem. Huh? And I went to Jerusalem and they got the special oil. Like, what is special oil from Jerusalem? Oil is oil. Goya oil, whatever oil you want to buy. Oil is oil. He made it special so I can make more money. You don't need no oil for anything. You have the oil of the Holy Spirit. You don't need no bottle. Somebody give you Goya oil. Go use the fry food. It's very good for food. Better than palm oil. Goya oil. You know, Sandra. Don't need it for anything. It doesn't contain anything. It's no oil from any tree or anything you can use. And this man came, oh, I got it from Jerusalem. Everybody was buying. I was just looking at them. Buy oil for what? That's why some of you, you can't exercise yourself as Zionites. Why? Because you're looking for the external. The Old Testament was all external. The New Testament is all eternal. You're looking for oil external. How can you walk as a Zionite? How can you walk as a child of the king? I asked somebody a question while we're still over there. Came to me and said, Pastor, I didn't see oil on your pulpit. I say, oh yeah, I say, what for? So I know the people. So what does that mean? So you bring the power of the Holy Ghost. Is that so? I say, yes. Now I must ask a question. I say, as you mean, I say, you know what? You are doing a great disservice to your people. You say, how? So let me explain to you. As you mean, you have people walking in the high sea. And they go go to sea for about three months. They are there. Like my brother Henry will go, he will not come back for such a long time. And maybe when you are going, you bought maybe two bottles of oil. And now the oil is finished. And then here is one of your partners on the boat is giving up. And people say, Man, let's pray. What are you going to do? Now you don't have an oil. Because for you to pray for the sick, you must anoint. Now here is a sick person dying. You are in the middle of the sea. You can't run to any market. No, nobody in the ship has oil. What are you going to do? Just start looking at me. You can't pray. Because even if you pray, you are not going to believe. Why? Because you feel there's no oil. So your faith is in oil and not in the Holy Ghost. Do you follow what I'm talking about? So you see people standing even in the room, or something is happening, they just run, bring the oil. Huh? They just pour, pour, pour. I remember somebody, 
I was reading that. I don't know how far it's true, but he went for an interview. And then he saw the whole paper was so stained with oil. I mean, the document. And uh, the pastor said, come on, why all this stain? He said, my pastor anointed the document for success. So they anointed the document with oil. With oil. Said, yes, please take this thing back and get out from here. The oil, instead of making the person to get the interview, to get a job, the oil disqualified the person. The whole thing was smelling. Oil. You are going for an interview, carry your certificate and pour oil on it. Something is wrong with you. Praise the living God. The Holy Ghost is on your inside. The oil you need is on your inside. Amen? You don't need anything external. Say that with all conviction and confidence. Don't go spend your money buying oil. Listen, somebody will say, but David is walking. Why will he not walk? Take ordinary sound and have your conviction that it's going to work. It's whatever you believe that works. Do you understand what I'm saying? But if you put your faith on that which is external, there's a time that that thing you put your faith in is not with you. Let me give you this illustration and a quote for tonight. I quit rather. I had a friend. I mean, say my friend, I have my friend. But before he became a Christian, he was living about his state. And uh, he was traveling. And then over there, there's a charm that was made for him. The charm is when you put it in your pocket, if there's an accident, you vanish from the vehicle. You vanish before the accident happens. Even if it happens, you're inside, you're going to come out fresh. He was traveling all the way, forgetting where he was going, that was just or thereabout. You remember that he didn't put that thing in his pocket. So he has the driver to stop. He has to come down. He has paid the fare. He has to come down. Get another vehicle back home to go collect that champ. That is the kind of conviction that Christians work with. What am I trying to say? If they don't have olive oil, they can go no they can go nowhere. They can do nothing. If they don't have olive oil, is anybody what I'm saying now? When your faith is external, you begin to trust in things. So the olive oil has become like charm to the Christians. Just like that guy will not travel without the charm in his pocket. Today it's a pastor. He's not looking for that charm anymore. Do you understand what I mean? And that's, that's the danger, that's a problem you get into when your faith is external. Everything you want to work with is something that somebody gives to you, either a piece of cloth or a piece of paper or whatever, you know. I remember in those days when we were in CAC church, hey, we we'll go for all night prayers. We're coming back. Oof, everybody carry jerry can of water. Holy water from the well. Oh, glory. Amen. We got a well, so everybody carry jerry can. Everybody dragging jerry can from church. <laughs> when we go in the evening, you carry your jerry can in the next day. The fresh water for you, you carry holy water. You understand that? <laughs> so you keep that in your heart. You know, you don't drink it except this situation. Maybe you want to pray. Holy water, all this a sick situation, poor holy water. Oh, come on. Here's you all. What is that going to do with your life? Praise God. But what am I trying to say? All of this in our God describes are people who are residing in Jerusalem and not Zion. Oh, praise God. But when you get to Zion, man, 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 everything is on your inside. Hallelujah. Everything is on your inside. You are a child of the king, man. You reigning and ruling with the king. Hallelujah. And the Bible tells us in Psalm, okay, give me Revelation. Sorry, we're going to stop here. Revelation 5 verse 10. Hallelujah. This is my Zion. Revelation 5 verse 10. And he has made us unto God kings and princes. Hallelujah. Kings and priests. And we shall reign where? On the earth. Where are we? In my Zion. That's why we are standing with him, man, Zion, the most holy place. I mean, in the holy hill of Zion. Revelation 14, verse 1. For I look and I saw Lamb of God standing with him, a water of 44,000. What is the purpose? That we may rule and reign with him as prince and kings. Where are we? In my Zion. This is far away from being in Jerusalem. Wake up somebody. 
Come up hither. Come to a place where you can experience the life of God. Nothing external. Everything is eternal. For even your redemption is an eternal redemption. Not a temporary one. It's an eternal redemption. It's a permanent redemption. Indeed, through the blood. Hallelujah. Now you are priests and you are what? You are kings. And know one thing that happens to kings? Kings don't walk by anything. They walk by decrees. Kings make decrees. They make pronouncements. And therefore, whatever you make a decree on, it shall come to pass in the name of Jesus Christ. The understanding is what liberates you from everything that is called religion. Friend, listen, we've come to Mount Zion, the city of what? Of the living God. Hallelujah. God bless you. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.